what, what, do, what do you guys think about the difference in target and objectives when we're talking about nation state actors engaged in cyber warfare or quasi cyber warfare and, and what cyber criminals are after? Um, what do you think, Andrew? You want to jump in there first? <laughs> I mean, I have some thoughts. But, uh, Man, that was a, that, that, there's a lot to, there's a lot to that. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the Cyber Guys podcast, the cybersecurity podcast for everyone. Uh, my name is Andrew Valencia and I'm joined as always by Mike Hill. And uh, Mike, we're not alone today. Uh, we actually have our very no. first guest. This is fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited too. A good friend of mine, Mr. Jared Ross himself, an in the flesh Green Beret who also has a lot of IT experience. Hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, uh, hey, and uh, Mike and Andrew, uh, thanks very much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, happy to have you. Just so our audience gets an idea uh, of a little bit of your background, I, I just uh, name dropped your Green Beret, but uh, uh, just just tell, tell our folks about your background a little bit uh, before yeah. getting into the IT world. Yeah, so uh, I spent 24 years in the Special Operations Command and uh, did a variety of different stuff there to include uh, a period of time with, uh, with JSOC. Uh, if that means anything to anybody. And then um, I had an opportunity uh, before I retired to to really ramp up my civilian education and, and walked away with uh, a couple of exec ed uh, courses, uh, but uh, an exec ed uh, MBA from GW where I focused on cybersecurity. Uh, also got to be uh, one of the contributing authors to a paper of, uh, under uh, a senior advisor to DHS uh, regarding uh, the, the idea of NATO uh, having offensive cyber capabilities. After I retired, uh, I kind of worked the range of, of different uh, parts of the tech world relating to cybersecurity first for a, uh, a boutique uh, hardware engineering firm that, that did uh, stuff for the Intel community. Uh, and they had a capability of running from uh, concept to prototype all the way through to production. Uh, of a lot of really unique technologies, a lot of it oriented towards the, the cyber and, and uh, uh, electronic warfare space, and then went to work for Adobe on the software side for a few years, and then followed that with uh, an, an executive position with a, another government contractor that did uh, IT consulting uh, and services uh, to the to the in, uh, Intel community as well. So that was that was my last eight years since I retired, uh, along with uh, uh, a little bit of dabbling in the human research uh, sector, unrelated to cyber issues. <laughs> and so, right. so, so I guess it's safe to say that you, you're, you're a good resource and you, you know what you're talking about when it comes to cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that anybody really knows what they're talking about with cyber yet. You know, I mean, I, I feel like we redefine <laughs> the terms uh, about every three weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you got to go back and check out our first episode because that was really the whole point. <laughs> okay. so we're, 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 we're simpatico, man. Okay. But now, now everybody out there can really see why, why you wanted Jared uh, uh, to come in and, and talk? Because really, there's a cross section of uh, cyber warfare with cyber criminality, and uh, the the idea of what do regular people need to be worried about, what do nation states be, need to be worried about, and then and then where, where does hybrid warfare come in? These are just some of the things we're going to talk about today because uh, everything is IT. And with everything being IT, there's always a cross-section between uh, cyber and real-world effects. 
Uh, so, Jared, um, before we get into um, uh, some of the particulars that we want to really discuss today, you know, we, we, we're watching the news, we're looking at Ukraine, uh, and we're looking at uh, some of the things going on there. And it, it's pretty apparent that Ukraine is winning the social media war, uh, without doubt. Uh, but, but an interesting report I just saw a couple days ago where um, they, the U Ukrainians basically took about two, roughly 2,000 IDs and dumped them into cyberspace uh, on information they exposed from about, I think it was 650 F FSB agents and another 1600s. What, what, what kind of cross-section uh, of worlds do you see with, with, with that sort of thing? Wow, you know, uh, I, I, that's a. I thought we were gonna you, you were gonna talk about uh, SpaceX and uh, and their ability to to push back the uh, the denial of service attacks that uh, Russia did on um, on their uh, Starlink terminals. But uh, yeah, this is actually probably a better example of of where we're headed. Which is, you know, uh, I think in, in a certain sense, uh, more than the SpaceX issue, uh, Russia's getting a taste of their own medicine, uh, and that is. Uh, if you make the investment in cyber capabilities and you have people that understand, you know, what the potentials are, it allows the, the smaller nation states to, to really punch up in, in a significant way uh, in the way that, that Russia has done uh, repeatedly over the last, you know, 12 or 14 years. And, and Ukraine, uh, definitely the little guy in this scenario, um, you know, they, that's going to create some havoc uh, for uh a period of time into the future, you know, the exposure of those those personalities um, will uh, definitely limit their capabilities in other areas of the world, uh, and and uh, creates a a problem that Russia hasn't had to deal with yet, which is a, a anybody attacking them in a cyber way. Uh, you know, the the whole offensive cyber capability piece is a really complex issue when you look at the legal side of it, uh, as well as you know, what the interpretations are uh, relative to acts of war and that kind of thing. And, and you know, the West has been very um, cautious to enter into that. However, Ukraine being in the situation they are, you know, I mean, they're, they're backed into a corner. So, they're, yeah, they're going to go ahead and, and, and drive forward with that. And, and I, I really thought that that was a, 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 a dynamic move on their part and, and, and a huge demonstration of, of you know, with uh, very small investments, you can create really big impact. Yeah, that, that's really kind of what I, what, what I was thinking about as well. I mean, I, I think some of it may be over the top, maybe sending uh, uh, pictures to relatives, maybe a little a little bit uh, uh, hardcore. But 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 that was an interesting use of identity theft uh, at, at a nation state level, which is something we, we, we always think about in terms of cybercrime. But uh, but seeing nation states use it as, as, as a tactical component in uh, really social warfare is, is, is really an interesting yeah. and, and And what you're talking about really is, is just another, it's just a tactic of cyber espionage, right? Yes. This is how nation states are able to fight, to fight or fight back or go on an offensive using cyber warfare tactics. How, yeah. so Jared, how, 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 I guess, how prevalent are we seeing that today? And do, is that become going to become more prevalent in the future? Um, I, I mean, I think the answer is yes. Uh, my my <laughs> my desires. I hope not. You know, I mean, it, it's it's a scary bit of terrain that we're dealing with. I, you know, like the, for Ukraine to do this. So Ukraine is not a, a, a major player in the global espionage scheme of things, right? Uh, where you know Russia is, the United States is, China is, you know, Western Europe, you know, Germany, France. Uh, you know, we have 
a, a lot of different things we engage in. Um, I, I don't think we'd want to be the, the first one to launch an exposure on social media of, you know, numerous uh, known or suspected uh, foreign agents, you know, of, of Russia or China or Ukraine, because uh, or not Ukraine, North Korea, because, you know, you look back not that far, we have the big OPM breach. You know, what could be done back to us? We don't know, uh, you know, who has access to all that info uh, and, and, you know, what they might be able to synthesize out of that to damage us. So, you know, I don't think we, we want to pull that trigger first. Um, but uh, certainly, you know, I, 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 we have, we have not engaged in any significant way in offensive cyber. Um, and uh, I think there's a reason. I think we're, we're still um, not wanting to take the first move simply until we feel like our defenses are better. And, and also, uh, we understand the full implications of any offensive move that we might make. Well, there, there's there's a third party um, that comes to play in this too, right? And that's that those are companies that that are that that store data or that mine data, right? Uh, yes. I think I think Meta or you know Facebook, they had a report that came out uh, this month in April that identified I think uh, a number of nation state actors that were performing disinformation campaigns sp- uh, targeting Ukrainians, um, and they were able to. Uh, identify those those uh, those accounts and you know delete them off the platform. But so how does how do we you know how does the United States uh, develop cyber tactics for cyber warfare when you have this third party that isn't necessarily under the umbrella of the U.S. government? Well, I, and I, I, that's that's actually you know I, when I was uh, thinking about what we were going to talk about today, that's. That's the piece that I, I, I really think is um, is going to be the the uh, the strategic advantage is, is those nation states that can learn how to sort of let loose some of the reins of control and allow a bigger role for the third party uh, commercial entity to play um, will will likely be the most innovative, most advanced uh, steps forward in that in that realm. You know, we saw. I brought up the example earlier of, um, of Starlink, of SpaceX. Was yeah, to- yeah. Let's talk about that because that that kind of brings both of these points together. You know, and and, and their their response time was a lot better than what you yeah, know we, we would normally see in our anti anti jamming <laughs> techniques. Yeah. Well, so and, and talk and about think, that for a second. Yeah, well, I think they talked. You know, I mean, what was the what was the word that the the, the DoD spokesperson said? He was eye watering response, uh, which I, you know I would agree it was. It's incredibly quick the way they were able to push forward the code and and implement it and and uh, and be successful, and and it's part of the problem is and I'm, I'm going to get on a little bit of my soapbox is is the simply just the acquisition process that uh, the government has um, it sets up a situation one that is cumbersome even when it's supposed to be fast you know a lightning fast time from you know requirement identification to to actual funds flowing and contract execution is is probably you know eighteen months on a, on a fast cycle and, and certainly you know during wartime there are a few exceptions but generally it's it's about eighteen months. Second of all, the way that the, the government goes about its requirements development process sets up a situation where um, the, the it's a it's incremental change is possible, but no blue ocean ideas are ever going to get in there because. Uh, the system's already set up for very specifically defined requirements. So we have the objective. We know what the objective of this contract is. However, 
it's already been agreed upon what the methodology should be to reach that objective. So it's the same players with the same products and services, only, you know, the, the joke always made with my engineering firm is, is everything size, weight, and power, right? Next year, it's going to be a little smaller. It's going to be a, you know, a little more power and the, you know, the batteries are going to be, uh, a, you know, a little lighter and, and, uh, you know, I mean, and that's it, right? That's how, it, but we're, you know, the, that idea that achieves that objective for a fraction of, of the investment and with greater impact, they're going to look at that, you know, sort of like a hug looking at a wrist, wristwatch, you know, they're just not going to understand it and it won't fit into the system. It'll be rejected. And so the, the opportunity for real innovation disappears in the government's hands. However, when you got a, you know, a company like SpaceX or, you know, these other dynamic companies out there operating in the commercial space who have to turn a profit, um, they're moving like that. You know, I mean, they're, you know, from idea to execution, it could be a couple of weeks or in the case of a, a crisis response, you know, they get the, the, the code pushed out in a matter of hours um, where, you know, the government will be looking around, oh, well, how are we going to get this funded? You know? Yeah. You know, it's funny, even to a degree, that scene uh, between commercial, large commercial entities and small hacker communities. I mean, I, I think about these guys that uh, that, that are bounty hunters um, uh, that basically will, will hack a company system in exchange for a bounty to, to, to validate or invalidate the security. You know, th- those guys that work on a freelance basis can can uh, often co- uh, uncover things that, yeah. you know, all the all the testing, regression testing, you know, fuzz testing, all the testing that they do uh, in the in-house group. Uh, because of their protocols, because of their uh, their myopic sight, uh, yeah. they just can't see it. So, so you, so you need you need that organic outside uh, uh, effect and a way of harnessing that and bringing yeah, that into I, the mix. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. And and you know the thing is, it, it we really have to find a different way of the government to interface with the commercial world because uh, once you have a government contract in place, it's almost like uh, it's it's almost like a a, a, a a virus replication issue, right? Um, because the, the requirements of the government contract cause the, the receiving organization of that contract to be act and behave more and more like the government because the reporting requirements, auditing requirements, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the way that they evaluate uh, the level of effort, number of hours and who worked on what, and we need specific things defined and we need to have a, a very cohesive plan from, you know, from this step to this step that says these, you know, milestones were met, all of that stuff, which is good management practice. I'm not going to say that it's, it's, it's completely useless, but in, in terms of, of quick response of being able to really uh, aggressively move at the speed of technology, it doesn't work. Um, and, and frequently that's why the, the government struggles, you know, to, to integrate, you know, a, technology advantages. Well, that, that really explains why a small state like Ukraine could could be nimble yeah. and, and outmaneuver, you know, one of the largest uh, countries uh, yeah. in, in the way of uh, the Russian Federation. So it, it really makes the point. Let's talk a little bit about hybrid warfare, because uh, I mean, from from the uh, the the days of, of World War Two all the way uh, to now, you know, if you can affect uh, a, a target in more than one way simultaneously, uh, it, it certainly can in, in improve your, uh, your your mission success rate. So uh, how would you describe cyber factoring in? Just kind of put your JSAC hat back on for a second. Uh, how does it factor into, you know, uh, hybrid 
uh, warfare do you think in the in in the, the coming decades? So I think right, hybrid warfare is an interesting uh, animal uh, in that. Uh, it really matters who your opponent is first. How technologically advanced are they, right? And, you know, hybrid warfare in Afghanistan, for example, um, you know, I mean, we could talk about hybrid warfare. To, we, we're really talking about combined arms, uh, joint combined arms uh, activities and the coordination of multiple different weapon systems. But, you know, in terms of attacking technology, when you have people who are living at, a, you know, kind of a, almost an 18th century level, uh, or 19th century uh, style of living, you know, there, there's no there's no grid to attack. Uh, there might be a single generator, or uh, you know, um, which is you know diesel fueled or something. Uh, and and of course, you know, destroying that power source is important, but it's it's not something we can get to through the internet because there's no internet connection for 20 mile radius, right? <laughs> you know, uh, or or something along those lines. However, you're talking about a more sophisticated uh, uh, enemy, you know, for example, Russia, um, it, then it becomes a much more viable option to consider. And um, and and so, you know, I, again, you know, uh, if we were in, you know, uh, Rwanda or Uganda, uh, Uganda or something like that, uh, the the uh, the 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 use of hybrid warfare wouldn't wouldn't be considered. Uh, you know, other than to maybe use some drones and then maybe some mesh networking stuff so that we could, you know, move our technolo technology forward onto the battlefield, but attacking theirs, there's not really any technology there. But for example, let's say we were engaged in a conflict in, in I can't imagine why, but in Kenya, where they have, you know, in the, in the population center, some pretty significant technology, or let's say there was a civil war in Nigeria, somehow we, we got involved in, you know, they do have some pretty advanced technologies in the population centers, which would would precipitate, you know, a hybrid warfare concept. But I think uh, the hybrid warfare is, you know, eventually is going to be warfare, um, you know, attacking the grid, attacking their capability to, uh, you know, drone swarm, uh, attacking um, their networks, uh, because in order, you know, for the United States is really good at, you know, joint combined operations. Nobody does it as well as we do. Um, and, and certainly we saw Russia it continues uh, to struggle with that. But uh, the reason we are able to do that is we, we, we improve our networking capabilities every year. It's, it's you know, everybody's able to uh, coordinate and communicate and, and move uh, properly across the battle space. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, but we're relying on that, which makes us a bigger target for hybrid warfare as well. Um, you know, the more effective... Uh, the, the hybrid warfare is more effective the more technologically advanced your opponent is. Yeah, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about Achilles. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Right. We have all this power, but the more we grow all of this capability, the greater a vulnerability we, we have as we rely on that technology. How does uh, motivation for escalation like f fall into this? So uh, obviously we know there, you know, cyber warfare can can escalate into real warfare, right? They're you know uh, going into this, we've seen a lot of nation state you know actors or backed hackers um, conducting operations within the United States. Oftentimes, they are not you know um, they're not attacking the actual infrastructure or critical infrastructure that has happened. What we've seen though is we've seen a lot of 
campaigns of disinformation or sowing discord, um, seeking chaos, it seems like. How does how does that play in? And is that a blind spot? I, I think so. Uh, I mean, especially with regard to uh, disinformation, um, you know, Russia has been very provocative in that way, uh, you know, clearly uh, attempting to influence the Brexit vote, uh, you know, um, lots of uh, evidence of their attempts to uh, influence the 2016 and 2020 elections here in the U.S. Um, in terms of, of its, uh, I think it continues in part because it hasn't resulted in escalation or response. Um, you know, the, the, the Russians are, are kind of furtive with their, uh, their disinformation and, and other cyber attacks that they kind of, they kind of prod and poke. And then withdraw um, I, because I think that you know they, I mean they read our laws uh, as as much as we read them and they know you know that we consider certain types of cyber attacks an act of war that, and they and they they kind of flirt right with that edge of it right uh, but they also know that we actually do uh, follow our own laws and that you know we're going to sit there and look at the law and go hey was this a true violation or not and you know and maybe it's a gray area and and so so far. Um, Russia hasn't received any significant response as a result of their cyber attacks, at least, you know, ones that are in the, in the public domain. So is that because we have effective like deterrence though? Is that, is that because we have like the, the fact that, you know, escalation into, you know, kinetic warfare is such a deterrent that, you know, that's why they, they really run in this gray zone with regards to, I mean, I, you know, I can't speak, you know, I can't speak for the Pentagon, right. Obviously it's, it's been, you know, quite a while since I was in, in, in uniform. Um, I, I can just, you know, my own, uh, observations and speculation. I, I think that, uh, um, our, our lack of response or apparent response, uh, lack of responses is really, uh, related to the fact that, you know, every time, Russia does pretty quickly withdraw their efforts. And I think Russia knows that in, a, in an actual kinetic uh, exchange that they would they would be crushed. Um, you know, I I was not surprised uh, at their performance uh, with the initial invasion of Ukraine and, and what has happened since. Russia relies on on uh, their ability to intimidate and bluff. Um, they make a convincing uh, uh, image that they are this you know, big, bad superpower, and they do have nuclear weapons. But beyond that, their their forces, especially their conventional forces, are not capable at the same level as, uh, you know, NATO countries, most of the NATO countries, and definitely nothing compared to what the United States brings to the table. And Russia knows that. And so that's why they'll quickly withdraw when it, anything even smells of a kinetic exchange What would that would justify U.S. involvement. They, they, they don't want they don't want that. Uh, but they they also know how to uh, manipulate public opinion inside the United States and how to imitate uh, intimidate uh, European uh, sentiment and lo- uh, leaders and and the public sentiment there. So I you know I, I they they're they're you know their their national uh, pastime is is chess. They're good at it. Um, they're they're good at uh, strategy and they're good at bluffing. Um, and so you know I, I think that's that's part of it. Um, that, however, if they think they've got overmatch, uh, they will conduct the, the, the cyber warfare and escalate. Just, they did it in Estonia in uh, 2007, and they did it in Georgia in 2008. You know, uh, Estonia, they just did the cyber piece, but then Estonia is a NATO country, right? And, 
they, they didn't want to, they, they didn't follow with an uh, incursion. But then the, the year after that, Georgia, they tested the waters there, recognized they weren't going to get uh, any kind of unified uh, response. And then they, they conducted the incursion. And from that, they still control areas of the Republic of Georgia, you know, the semi-autonomous uh, regions. Um, and they were successful. Yes, and, you know, it's, the, the, the cross section I'm, I'm really getting from, from a lot of this, of this conversation, you know, in, in, in cyber, uh, particularly when we're training newbies, uh, you know, we train on the principles of, of um, social engineering, you know, uh, creating authority or, or, or affinity or, or, or some sort of quid pro quo in order to establish a pretext for um, compromising information. Uh, it, it's not that unlike, you know, a PSYOPs ca- campaign. Don't you think there's kind of a, a commonality, but basically when, when we're doing state level um, social engineering, we're just doing PSYOPs. I, I think it's a beautiful way to put it. And, and uh, again, like, like in the beginning of our conversation, you know, the, the terms change uh, uh, every few weeks and, and I have even trouble keeping up with them, but certainly, you know, a, a, a social engineered, you know, uh, a, a disinformation uh, attack through, through uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram or whatever is exactly that. It's a PSYOP ca- campaign, um, you know, just like, you know, I, I was real comfortable with the progression, you know, and distinction between cybersecurity to cyber warfare and then the SpaceX thing. They don't they don't in all the articles I've read so far about the SpaceX thing. They haven't used cyber warfare once. They talk about, uh, you know, uh, uh, repelling the electromagnetic attack. And, and uh, you know, I mean, OK, all right, now, now I have to figure out what that means. Um, but, uh, you know. It does sound more cool, though, I think. It does sound more. It sounded like there was something different happened, you know. And yeah. <laughs> once I read, you know, two separate articles, I went, okay, it's a denial of service attack on, <laughs> on Starlink. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 it is a PSYOPs campaign. And, and, and I think that, you know, they, they mastered that medium, you know, the, at, least, uh, at least Russia has. Um, they, they've done a really, um, I, I hate to admit it, they've done a good job of, impacting people's perceptions um, in, in multiple different uh, regions of the world. Yeah, it, it really is something. You know, that's, that's kind of another interesting cross-section maybe we should talk about a little bit. And that is because I know a lot of our, our um, uh, audience is going to be, you know, intellectually interested in some of the discussion of cyber warfare, but, but they're really more concerned with uh, what they face. So uh, what, what, do, what do you guys think about the difference in target and objectives when we're talking about nation state actors engaged in cyber warfare or quasi cyber warfare and, and what cyber criminals are after. Um, what do you think, Andrew, you want to jump in there first? <laughs> I mean, I have some thoughts. But, uh, Man, that was a, that, that, there's a lot to, so there's a lot to that, but you, you know, I might counter with a question uh, on that, on that front, Mike, uh, you know, a lot of the cyber crime, major cyber crimes that we've seen in the last, you know, decade or so, are often conducted by nation state actors, you know, sponsored groups, um, Iranians, uh, uh, act, you know, that are, you know, uh, convicted of uh, wire fraud, so on and so forth. I, there's a lot more interplay between those two realms. than I think is that you would, under, you would think of at first glance, right? Yeah, you have a I, lot of, I, like, I, do. I, I think so, but I, I think, I think the main the main difference is, is what do they want? You know, I mean, for instance, a nation state is not interested in a 
uh, Joe Schmo's bank account or, or, or doing their identity uh, theft, unless that person perhaps is someone with access or someone who could perhaps be compromised uh, because of their job or some other thing. So, so th there's always a second, second like e even when um, some of the smaller nation states like Iran, uh, North Korea, some, sometimes they do actually uh, engage in um, uh, fiduciary crimes Often, uh, through, often through they actions. often do. If you look at the FBI's most wanted list, there's a lot of there's a lot of foreign actors on there that are that are that but are wanted if, for if that kind actually, of activity. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it was, it's interesting though. If you actually trace trace the route, it's generally within a a, a field or industry or some space uh, that has a direct national interest motive behind it. Uh, for instance, you know the the. The oil industry, uh, uh, OPEC nations, and so forth, are always attacked by their their black sheep cousin, Iran. You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, South Korea, Taiwan, and uh, Singapore are almost always being attacked, even on the fiduciary side, by actors within North Korea. You know, um, when it comes to Russia, they're, they're across the map, and, and it's because there's this nexus between uh, the organized crime there and, and the nation. So it, it's, it's kind of an interesting, like you said, a, a good word interplay, but you can kind of trace motives a little bit. Don't you think? Yeah. I, I would add in there, you know, and, and to Andrew's, uh, point about the, the, the criminal aspect of it or the criminal use of it, just like the, as the, you know, the, the cocaine market exploded in the late seventies and early eighties, and then began to be a, a, a funding stream for, you know, uh, the Sandinistas or other, you know, elements that it was more difficult for them to receive funding in, in traditional direct government to entity uh, transactions because either accounts were frozen or they didn't want uh, the appearance of supporting uh, some type of insurgency or what have you. Uh, it becomes a mechanism for, uh, you know, ransomware, for example, you know, if, if I'm an, an entity out there acting, uh, trying to conduct, you know, whatever it's terrorist activities or, you know, uh, working uh, in, in support of, of some nation state that wants to further their objectives, but doesn't want their hand known, they want a, a you know, a, a covert or clandestine um, uh, operation to take place, the ransomware funds my operation in, directly into you know, it's especially if it's a cryptocurrency uh, cutout piece of it directly into this stream that is almost entirely dip, uh, impossible to, to determine, you know, where did the money go and who has it now? And, you know, I mean, it, they, the FBI did some good work, I think, in, in one of the more recent rounds of ransomware attacks in, in, in grabbing some Bitcoin before it got to its uh, destination. Um, but still, you know, a, a fair amount of it still got through and recovered. And, you know, who was responsible for that? Was, was that an individual, you know, criminal organization? Was it a nation state actor that, you know, somehow uh, stood up that organization up and, and uh, you know, staffed it with, you know, people they knew they could, you know, trust or rely on? How, how were these, these, you know, dark connections made? You know, the, the cyber world makes all that even more uh, possible to, to achieve uh, and, and hide, you know, the, all of the, all of the true connections. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the criminal use of cyber, uh, warfare techniques is potentially devastating, um, and very difficult to, to connect. 
And and you added a whole other factor in by, by bringing up uh, the anonymization of currency. I mean that that's a whole other topic that we could go into into a lot yeah. more on. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the the cryptocurrency cryptocurrency to me today is like the uh, the burner phone uh, back in in you know the early two thousands. You know, I mean, why were why was every mini market in every you know poor neighborhood you know selling a hundred of those a month? You know, it, 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 a vast majority of them were going to support, you know, uh, a local uh, drug uh, trade. And and until they figured out ways to be able to to connect to those numbers quickly, uh, it was a very valid means to uh, to keep their operations hidden from uh, from any kind of, uh, you know, law enforcement intervention. And, and so cryptocurrency serves the same purpose uh, in a lot of cases. I think it's something that, that Mike, Mike, you mentioned earlier, which was, you know, what's what the motivation behind a lot of this for nation states? And I think that's I think that's actually a really good question, because I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not an expert in this area of the cybersecurity world whatsoever. But if I had to take a stab at it, you know, the reason why a nation state like Iran would sponsor a group of hackers to commit wire fraud in the United States is one of the things, one of the, one of the uh, motivations could be reconnaissance, right? Could be the ability just testing the defenses. Uh, it, what, what's been your, what, what's, what's been your exposure on stuff like that? Is that a large part of it or is it more of just really, com- you know, committing the actual act itself and, and getting the immediate gains? Honestly, I think reconnaissance is, is one of the main motivations when, when nation states are, are collecting uh, personal information uh, from from their targets, mm-hmm. um, we still have yet to see what's going to happen uh, or or what's going to be made use of with the OPM breach, you know. But we know there's a lot of personal information out there that could certainly yeah, be used well, for absolutely. and more. Well, and you know, I mean, there's with the with the capabilities that exist now, you know, there's just in 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 all kinds of of networks, there's just constant you know port scanning going on. You know, just looking for vulnerabilities, looking for what machines they can get into. What can we find out? And and then, you know, the, the big data analysis and machine learning stuff that's going on in the background that enables them to be able to to, you know, just ingest huge amounts of information and see, you know, where there is a vulnerability, where to where to spend their time. And they're high, uh, high end tools. They're expensive uh, tools on 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 true, you know, um, uh, violation, uh, intrusion, uh, onto a particular network or machine, uh, for, you know, the, the actual attack. But I think Andrew, you, you hit the nail on the head. There's a ton of reconnaissance, uh, uh, being done, you know, 24 seven. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a great conversation. We could go on and on, but I think our time is, is, is running out. Jared, we got to get you back. This was, this was a great conversation and, and certainly look forward to, uh, to, to having you again. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Absolutely, Mike. You're right. We got to get this. We got to get you back back here. I'd love uh, to. to anytime. There's just not that many people out there that that uh, have the the you know the same background that that you guys have, and we we get to have this you know uh, really awesome exchange. So uh, very thought provoking for me. It gets me all excited. My juice is flowing. <laughs> <laughs> I think our juices are all flowing. All right, that's great. Thank thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thanks again, uh, Jared, for coming on. Uh, folks, it, go ahead and check out the episode description for more information on uh, the topic of today's episode. 
And uh, if you had a good time listening to us, or if you're one of the cool kids who watched us on the YouTube, then go ahead and help the podcast out by subscribing to our channel. I'm Andrew Valencia. And I'm Michael Hill. And reminding you, stay safe, be secure, be sure. We'll see you next time. Thank you.